You're listening, listening to, to Bible, Bible Plus. Bible Plus from Seesaw. Bible Plus is a podcast featuring short, daily discussions of every chapter in the New Testament. Bible Plus is designed to increase Bible reading, understanding, and enjoyment. Get more out of the Bible. Hey guys, today we come to Luke chapter 9. It's a really long chapter, and we don't have time to cover everything, uh, but I want to overlay this theme that Luke has been pressing uh, home ever since chapter 4, which is that Jesus' ministry can be summed up in one uh, strange but striking word, and that is jubilee. So hopefully you've been internalizing this concept of jubilee. Jesus' ministry brings in the fulfillment of what Leviticus 25.10 talked about is that day or that year of Jubilee where all debts are forgiven, um, all captives uh, who had to sell themselves into kind of an indentured servitude are released and uh, they're returned back to their family and their possessions and their inheritance. It's like a reset clock um, within God's people's history. Every 50 years, there was this jubilee, a ram's uh, horn trumpet was blown and then the jubilee, jubilee was enacted and God's people were released from bondage and returned to their rightful possessions and family. So that was obviously a time of supreme joy and excitement and rejoicing. And Luke 4, 18, Jesus quotes Isaiah 61 and says, this is the acceptable year of the Lord. I'm the anointed one sent from God and I'm bringing in Jubilee. So that's kind of a theme that pervades Luke's writing. And I want to look at Luke chapter 9 in light of the Jubilee, okay? So we're kind of um, going to apply and superimpose this concept on top of this chapter. Now, a lot of these stories in Luke 9 and, and elsewhere in the Gospel of Luke appear in Mark and in Matthew. Some of them appear in John, but mainly in Matthew and Mark. And in Matthew and Mark, we all have, all the gospel writers have their own particular perspective on Jesus' life and ministry. Matthew showing the kingdom of the heavens, particularly in relation to Israel. Uh, Jesus is the Messiah, the king of Israel, um, who brings in a new law, a new kingdom. Uh, Mark shows us the servant, the slave of God, serving us with his life and his ransom. Um, and Luke is showing us this high standard of morality, which is what God intended for humanity, which is being in the image of God. And Jesus is that perfect image of God in humanity, a fullness of humanity, not just a sinless humanity, but a full experience of human life with all of those virtues, compassion, love, meekness, tenderness. Brian listed some of them um, in chapter seven, all of that expressed in God. Okay, uh, all of that expressed of God in Jesus's humanity. Um, and again, that is the real Jubilee being returned to the image of God, which is our rightful possession in the divine family and being freed from the sin that enslaves and distorts us. So let's look at Luke chapter nine with three main points in view. It's a long chapter, uh, but let's look at number one, the spreading of the Jubilee. Number two, the requirement for the Jubilee, and number three, the height of the Jubilee, the fullness of the Jubilee. So these three points, the spread, the requirement, and the the height, the fullness. 
Okay, so the first one is in Luke chapter 1 and 2. This is the spread of the Jubilee. Jesus has had the 12 disciples with him ever since chapter 6, and they've been uh, accompanying him. And Luke chapter 9 is a shift in their experience, and that is from observation to participation. In other words, they had observed Jesus's Jubilee ministry and benefited from it. Um, they'd, they'd experienced that some of that from themselves, being liberated from um, what held them back and obviously the joy of following Jesus. But now their experience took on a new dimension, and that is direct participation in the spread of the Jubilee. And, you know, you can read verses 1 through 9 about how that happened for them. They were to heal and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's really the Jubilee. But for us, we gotta, we have, we have to think about this and experience this shift in our own experience. That is, we need to move from mere, uh, benefit, you know, merely benefiting from Jesus's ministry, um, and experiencing Christ to spreading that Jubilee ministry to others. So we shouldn't care about our, we shouldn't only care about our own enjoyment of the Jubilee that Jesus brings. We shouldn't only be focused on our own release from sin and our own return to the enjoyment of God's God's uh, God's inheritance that he has for us. We shouldn't be only concerned about our own enjoyment of Christ. We should be burdened for those around us to spread the Jubilee experience to them, to bring them into the joy of experiencing Christ and having their sins forgiven and their debts erased. And the more we move from observation to participation, the more we actually enjoy the reality of that jubilee. The second thing I would say about this this shift from observation to participation to spread the jubilee is that we shouldn't let our own ongoing uh, failings and shortages hold us back from participating in that spread. If you read this chapter, you'll notice the disciples are still failing. They're still not up to the standard of that fullness of Jubilee. At one point, they ask Jesus to send the crowds away. At one point, they fall asleep while Jesus is praying and is transfigured. And finally, they wake up and see him changed. Um, They want to hold and elevate Elijah and Moses to the same status as Jesus, the only begotten son of God and the chosen one. And God the Father intervenes and says, no, hear Jesus only. They're unable to cast out demons. They don't understand his words. They fight over who's the greatest. They forbid others from, you know, working on on God, on behalf of God, because they don't follow their own particular way. And they want to call down lightning from heaven to those who refuse to help them. So these are massive shortages and failings uh, in their experience of being the reproduction of Jesus as the image of God. Remember, Chapter 635, he says, you'll be sons of the Most High. You'll be full of compassion as your heavenly Father is full of compassion. The Jubilee is intending to reproduce the first Jesus as the firstborn son of God in us. So that's what Jubilee does. It doesn't just wipe away our debt of sin. It brings in the image of God. In chapter 9, God calls, Jesus calls these disciples into the spread of the Jubilee while they're still not fully in the image of God. So that should encourage us to not let our current struggles and shortcomings and failures hold us back from spreading the Jubilee to others. The third point I would say on this one is Jesus doesn't work to carry out the Jubilee alone. He delights 
and calling us into that participation. All right, let's move on to the next one. Number two, we're going to jump over to verse 20 and 22. Here's the revelation of who Christ is. Now, you may have, you may have noticed in these last couple of chapters, there's all these questions. Who is this? Who is this? Even in verse 9 of, of this chapter, chapter 9, Herod asks, who is this? And the answer comes, this is the Christ of God, the Christ of God. Now, the word Christ uh, means the anointed one. And that links us back to chapter 418 when Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. So this is the requirement of the Jubilee, or you could say the basis of the Jubilee. It's based on, number one, Christ being the, Jesus being the anointed Christ. There needs to be someone who brings in the Jubilee, and that is the Christ. So the requirement is the Jubilee is based on this person, who he is, and then in verse 22, what he does. And this is a, a curveball for them because he says the Christ must be killed and then, of course, raised. So the basis of the Jubilee is the person and work of Christ. He's anointed to bring in the Jubilee. That anointing designates him as the Christ. And what the Christ does is not just kind of benefit us on a human level, kind of a shallow, flippant, you know, very horizontally bounded joy. But that Jubilee experience is based on the death and resurrection of Christ. Okay, but there's another requirement here uh, that Jesus immediately transitions to in verse 23. Another requirement for our enjoyment and experience of the Jubilee is we ourselves must be crucified. Verse 23 says, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Luke is the only one who includes that word daily here. And what this is saying is, The real hindrance to our ongoing experience of Christ in this kind of jubilee perspective where we're in the enjoyment of God and experiencing the incremental increase of the image of God in us so that we could be what God created us to be, image bearers, released from sin in the divine family. The real hindrance is our self, and that self gets in the way and frustrates our experience and enjoyment of Christ, and that self always defaults toward sin and the distortion of our our proper humanity to be in the image of God. And that self is manifest in this chapter, like like I showed us, the uh, wanting to call fire down out of heaven uh, to consume an entire city because they didn't, you know, put you up for the night. That's the self, and that's a hindrance. And so, the requirement to be in the jubilee is on Jesus's side. His being the anointed Christ who dies, resurrects, and that death is the basis of our release from our sin. That resurrection is the release of the divine life that brings us into the enjoyment of our divine inheritance. But ongoing, we need a daily experience of crossing out ourself so that we can remain in the enjoyment of the divine life. Lastly, our third point, we're going to go right here to um, verse 27. So right after this, uh, Jesus talks about um, seeing the kingdom of God, uh, seeing the kingdom of God, and then what they see is his glory. So you got to link verse 27 with verse 32. It says, Jesus says, you won't taste death until you see the kingdom of God. Eight days later, he takes Peter, John, and James up to the mountain. He's transfigured. He's changed. His face becomes like uh, the sun, as Matthew and Mark tell us. 
his garment become dazzling white. And then they had fallen asleep while this happens in 32. It says, they woke up and they saw his glory. So Jesus says, you'll see the kingdom, fall asleep, they wake up, they see his glory. They see Jesus transfigured before their eyes. And that is the height and the fullness of the Jubilee, which is the transfiguration of Christ and our own promised transfiguration. Philippians 3.21 says uh, that God will conform us uh, to the body of his glory and we will be transfigured. The body of our humiliation will be transfigured to match his. That will be the day when we are in the fullness of the Jubilee, when there's nothing uh, in our sinful, fallen flesh and self that can hold us back because we will be fully like him and conform to him uh, in the body of his glory. And so that was a miniature of the kingdom of God. That's what the kingdom of God will be like in the future. We have a miniature of that here. The, what does the kingdom of God look like? It looks like human beings shining forth the glory of God. And that glory of God is the reality of the image of God that we were made to bear. We know that because 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, we're being transformed into that same image. And that is happening from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. And I would just leave us uh, with one takeaway here. Experientially, Jesus is transfigured, interestingly enough, um, as he prays. Verse 29 says, as he prayed, the appearance of his face became different. Um, So if we want to experience that incremental transformation into more and more glory today, then a big key for us today is to pray. And we pray ourselves into the enjoyment of Christ and the Jubilee. We pray and rejoice over the fact that our sins are forgiven. We pray ourselves uh, into the blood of Christ to, to, to know and to uh, experience that. And as we pray, our face becomes different. I just love that. So may we uh, be finishing out this semester and be going into this uh, winter break prioritizing prayer for the transformation uh, into the image and glory of God. And that will empower us, that sight of Christ transfigured in our um, you know, our destinies in that, in that uh, transfiguration vision. We see what we will be that will motivate us and empower us to deny the self. And that self will be crossed out and the hindrances to our full participation and the spread of Jubilee will be gone. So this is Luke chapter 9 in a nutshell. There's obviously more here, but we're looking at it today in the light of the spread of the Jubilee, the requirement of the Jubilee, and the height and fullness of our future experience of the Jubilee being fully conformed to the image, the transfigured Christ. Amen.